not sure how many of you know uh, a person, not, not personally, but you, I'm not sure how many of you know the name Sami Velu. Some of you know Sami Velu, that you expose your age. <laughs> he was our former and former, former, former transport minister in Malaysia. Um, so when he was a transport minister, the prime minister was Mahadir Muhammad. Mahadir. Okay, Mahadir. In those days, there was no internet, no, uh, what do you call that, the um, online meeting or Zoom or webcam or something like that. One, one, <clears throat> there was once Sami Velu represented Malaysia to go overseas for meeting. And then um, all of a sudden he needed to communicate to Malaysia. So the whole cabinet, uh, Mahadir, the Prime Minister, and all the other ministers were together. And they would have to use television to communicate. And at first the audio was okay, but, late, but then when, when they started to communicate, the audio was not coming through. So the ministers in Malaysia couldn't hear what Sami Velu was trying to say. And then all of a sudden, uh, Sami, he took, took out a chicken and then he, take in, he bring in a goat, a goat, huh? and then he took a bag and showed the camera. All of the ministers, they have no idea what he was trying to say. But then all of a sudden, Mahadeh said, ah, I know what he meant. He said, I am, I am, coming, back. I am coming back. Means I am coming back. <clears throat> I am coming back. That's how uh, sometimes we could understand Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 21. Now when we read this particular passage in Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 21, you see here two things that are similar to the situation I shared with you about Sami Velu. Number one, there seems to be some understanding between Sami Velu and Mahadir. Other people may not understand what he was trying to say, but Mahadir understood immediately that he is saying, I am coming back. So there is something going on in that communication which was exclusive for a group of people. And that group of people will find it meaningful. So in Revelation chapter 22, we have a similar situation where the word of God was given not so much for everyone, more for the church, specifically, specially for the church. That's number one. Number two, it was also, um, so, so it was in a sense, something like a spy secret code, or something like that. You know, that's a little bit, we'll, we, will, we will explain that a little bit more later. The second similarity is this. The point here is that Jesus 
was telling the church that I am coming back. So that's, of course, the most important message which all of us should carry with us as we worship the Lord this morning, as we leave this place throughout the week. We have to remember that God, that Jesus himself is saying that I am coming back. I hope you, are, you will not only remember Sami Velu, you will remember that Jesus said, I am coming back. Let's read Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 21. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Omega, Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to be tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the gods and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He will testify to these things, say, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now, the theme for us this morning is how to live through adversity. How do we live this life where we are, where, as we are waiting for Jesus to come? And sometimes it's not so easy. And there are three, three um, tips for all of us, three lessons for all of us to learn this morning on how to live through adversity. Number one, we have to acknowledge the reality of evil. Now, one of the problems sometimes we have, with, whether with education or with life in general, is that we tend to run away from reality. Sometimes it's a little bit like we don't want to face it and we don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to say that it is there. And we rather try to escape and try to find a way out to try not to face it. And unfortunately, life is not like that. There are times whereby we, our procrastination, our um, unwillingness to face the reality will cause us in the future. So in verse 15, you see here, it says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So the Bible and especially in this part, says very clearly to us what has happened and what's happening. And he's not trying to shield it from us. Now, of course, we know that when we have a young child when in our education, we don't tell a young child everything, 
right? We, we teach gradually. But as we mature, as we grow up, one of the responsibilities of parents is to help the child to face the world. So it is right, you know, sometimes we do need to help our children so that they can have their, they can, they can study at their own pace, for example. They can learn things about the world and accept who they are. But on the other hand, one of the responsibilities of a parent or parents is to help the child or our children so that they know how the world is, how the world works. And, and people, uh, one of the things that my mom always taught me was that people would try to take advantage of you and do not trust anyone. Have you ever heard that? Yeah? Don't trust anyone. And especially uh, ladies, uh, you know, girls when they're young, the parents tend to be a bit more protective. Don't trust anyone. So in this particular context, when the book of Revelation was written, it was written at a time where the Roman government was persecuting the Christians. So there was a very difficult time. And the year, we guess the year was 81 to 96 uh, during the reign of the Emperor Domitian. And you could almost say that Revelation is a political resistant document. That means it was written to the Christians to tell them that the government now is against you. You have to stand firm. Now, that's how, and that, that's the context. If, if you're interested in when it was written and why it was written, and you look at the content, then you probably would agree with me that, yeah, indeed, it is written so that they would be able to face the difficulty, the persecution itself at that time. Now, in verse 9, it reads, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Now, this is in chapter 6, okay? Chapter 6, verse 9. Those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe. So this is a very important image. Number one, it talks about the reality that Christians were being persecuted, some of them being killed. And that's the spiritual reality, that's the actual political situation they were facing. Um, there are, you know, sometimes in real life, things do not go as according, sometimes not even according to our prayer. So in this case, you can see very clearly that the spiritual reality of evil in those days were manifested through political power. You know, sometimes we have, for example, uh, you have an evil spirit, you know, demon possession. You have uh, emotional trouble, which is linked to a stronghold by a certain spirit or certain sin. But there are times whereby things are more complicated and structural. In this case, evil can come to us in the form of political power. 
And you know what? Why is political power so frightening? It's because it, it projects itself as in powerful and in control. And putting Christians in self-doubt, when you are facing something that is so powerful, it's not like, you know, for example, as, as pastors, sometimes when we have people telling us that, oh, we have this problem of, of someone being possessed with an evil spirit, for us, that is nothing to be feared. You know, we will pray and we will cast out the demon and things like that. But then, when it comes to the point, what if the government is not allowing us together to worship? What if the government wanted to change the content of the Bible and ban the publication of the Bible? What if the government say everyone must not worship Jesus anymore? And if you confess that you're a Christian, then we will take your house, we will take your car, we will take your PlayStation. You know, I think <laughs> some of us then will suddenly realize that wait, this is, seems to be a bit more complicated than the evil spirit. <laughs> but well, the bad news is this is the evil spirit, but manifested in a form of political power. This is it. It is not the other kind of things, but they are the same. So the poem is that this political power, they are so powerful because they take the place of God. Now, who, supposed, who is supposed to judge? God is supposed to judge. Now, this is very subtle. All right? Some of us, to us, always in our mind, we were never thought, and we were always thought that God was not supposed to judge. We've been thinking that the court the judiciary system, the whole government agency, everything put together should be the one that's judge. Or, you know, you say that we have law or civil law or something like that, that should judge. But that's political power. So in some countries, for example, the law has changed. They have changed the law, for example, to acknowledge certain things that is against Christian value. And in those situations, then you realize, oh wait, God should judge, not these, these things. So the situation in, during Roman time in this particular case was severe because they have changed the law, now if, if, if there is a law then, so much so that the Christians will have to confess otherwise. They, they have to worship the emperor, there was this emperor cult that everyone will have to register in, in one way or another or to be officially involved in sacrifice to the emperor as God. So obviously the Christians resisted and therefore they're being persecuted. So they also, this kind of political power, they always project themselves as truth. Now, there's one country in this world, it's very sensitive, so I don't want to name the, name the country, but you'll be able to guess where the political leader, not just one, a few countries, where the political leader will decide the content of what is true. Now, how do you know that? Number one, they try to change history. Right? 
when history says such and such a way, they say, no, 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 no. According to our version, this is the way. And if you're not following their version, you will be put to jail. So that's the situation where power has become truth. So this kind of evil that we are talking about seems to be very powerful, very big. And our, the, you know, most of the time, Christians respond to, with two, two reactions. Number one, escapism. The escapism is what I mentioned earlier on, where we try to be like the ostrich, you know, put our head in the ground and pretend nothing happened and continue to live our lives. So that's the first thing that we do. Second, violence confrontation. Revolution, you know, you want to fight the evil political power. Now, that's why we have to read the New Testament, especially. They give us very clear image of how Christians will react to all this. What if there is all this injustice going on in the legal system and in everything in the government's doing? In Revelation, there's even the third type of problem, which is called complacency. Now, you remember the seven churches. The problem with the seven churches is actually, as, as you read, you know, that Christians who were not trying to escape entirely, but not, that means not running away. They still stay in those cities. They're not running away in the wilderness and pray, you know, like the Essenists, they were also not engaged in violent confrontation, but they're just being complacent. So that's why in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So that's what God says to the seven churches. So these Christians who were actually rich because they managed to stay in those kind of political situations, they're not engaged in violent confrontation. They were also not trying to run away. And actually, if you go around the world today, that's majority of us. I'm not talking, we are not pointing fingers to anyone. We are talking about ourselves. And often, we stay within that adversity and we pretend things are not happening. And not only that, we even prosper <laughs> in the midst of that. So, um, and, and these seven churches, there is a reason for us to believe that some of them have blended in so well with the political and social situation. They blend in so well that they actually become prosperous and they actually become comfortable during adversity. So today, when we talk about um, facing and living through adversity, I think the first thing that we need to establish is we need to acknowledge evil. And at the same time, we also need to acknowledge that we, out of the three positions that we might be taking, 
we are often taking either one of them, and most likely we are taking the complacent one. Because I'm, I'm not sure, I'm sure that you are not in violence revolution, and I'm sure that you are not, you have not escaped to the loop it yet. You're still here. Um, but most likely, for most city people, uh, Christians around the world, who actually somehow we have economic adversity or we have political adversity, it's more likely that we become complacent. So we have to acknowledge that. So how, what should we do, number two? First, we acknowledge your situation. Okay, that means I confess. I have been complacent. I don't know about you. Okay, so at least you need to acknowledge the evil. You confess of who you are and what you have done so far. Number two, receive the message of hope. Receive the message of hope. And um, if you look at, the, you look at this one, uh, if you're Malaysian, you should be able to understand this. Uh, boss, today I can't come to work. Eh? Why? Not delicious body? Or enter wind? If sick, show MC. Uh, still at Kampong, my car broken, brake no eat, tire no flower. <laughs> now, if you're Malaysian, you'll be able to understand, right? So this is another example of Sami Velu telling Mahathir that I am coming back. In that kind of situation, even the book of Revelation has to be written in such a way that, that it would means a lot actually to those who are reading it. When they read it, like, like Malaysian reading this, like you, you were laughing when I, when I read this out. Why? Because it means something to you. It means nothing to someone who is, you know, in an English-speaking world, when they read this, they don't know what you're talking about, what is delicious body, uh, what is tired no flower, you know, or bread no eat they wouldn't be able to understand. So what can be meaningful to these Christians at a time of adversity? Hope. Hope given by Christ who say, I am coming back. So that's the difference. Behold, verse 12, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So there's injustice going on. All of a the sudden, they took our Bible, they disallowed us to worship, for example, and they persecute us. But yet, this is what being said here, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In verse 20. So in this case, you see, throughout the, the book of Revelation, the prophecy that's being prophesied was not sealed and it was opened by Christ, very unlike uh, in Daniel's time where the prophecy was sealed, wait for the time for it to be opened. Now, when, that, when you see that, that means the time has come when Christ, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the word that creates and concludes, he is the real ruler and he has come. That means he opened. And no one else can, can close. 
this prophecy. So he has finally come. You know, there's this story about three very rich, the rich, three probably the wealthiest person sitting together. One of them, you know, the American, the American, he said, I am going to buy the largest, um, the, the largest shopping mall in the world. The next one, a German, he said, I'm going to buy the largest aircraft in the world. Wow, the other, okay, very good, huh? These two, very wealthy. The third one say, I'm so sorry, I am not selling. <laughs> Jesus is like the third one. Where everyone in the world, every political leaders in this world, they think they have power. Especially those that I mentioned just now, you know, those who try to be God, to say that they have the truth and they want to change history. They want to change the textbook or whatever. But Jesus is the Lord. He is the Alpha and Omega. David's offspring will establish God's kingdom. So the morning star, for example, when we read about the morning star, it recalls the, the prophecy, the, the oracle of uh, Balaam who said that a star would rise from Jacob to rule the nation. So, the, in this case, the rulership, that means Jesus being the king, Jesus being the Messiah, it's very clear. So, all these Christians are supposed to have a very clear idea when people persecute them, right? Now, normally when people persecute us, what, what do we do? I don't know about you, I would think of, I would try to escape, I'll think of my family, right? I'll think of my family. So that's why here it says, receive the message of hope. Think of Jesus. Why? Because he is not selling. You know? He is the king. He is the ruler. He is the one. He is the hope. So not, don't, I mean, we are, very, we are weak in our faith. Of course, we will think of ourselves. Like me, you know, I'm scared of this and that. And think of our family. Very normal. God understands our weaknesses. But we are now being encouraged that as God understands our weaknesses, let us also understand that there is hope in Christ. And let us learn, you know, what is spiritual discipline? Spiritual discipline can also be defined as a daily reminder or an hourly reminder or whatever that is, daily reminder that God is in control. So every day, why do I have to do this, uh, you know, devotion and pray every day? You pray so you remember. And also at the same time, you pray so do you know you have to rely on God and not yourself. So you train yourself every day once you train yourself to rely on God rather than rely on yourself, when persecution comes, guess what? You already have your practice. And that's why the test sometimes may come to the church. And why are we not ready? The reason is because there's no practice. Okay? So receive the message of hope and finally walk with integrity. There's supposed to be another one, is it? Uh, 
It's supposed to be another. Anyway, we just progress. Uh, yeah, this is another one, is it? Yeah, doesn't matter. This is very technical. This is about how you read uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation. Okay, never mind. We go to the third point. The third point, first, we acknowledge the reality of evil. Okay? We don't deceive ourselves. Secondly, we receive the message of hope. And finally, we walk with integrity. Now, if you read the book of the Gospel of Mark, you realize that You see, sometimes when we read the Bible and when we, as we understand where we are or when we are in the timeline of God, sometimes we think that we have to wait. We have to wait. But then if you read the Gospel of Mark, you realize that uh, not just the Gospel of Mark, but also later on uh, in Gospel of Matthew, even all the way to Luke and then to John, you realize that Jesus has promised that he is with us. You realize that God has come to us. In Mark, we, we realize that God has come to us. We say that he has entered into our time. So it's a little bit like the heaven is open and all of a sudden, God has come to be with us. And Say, where is heaven? You can see it through Jesus uh, because it's open. So the time between us and heaven is not a part, but has been joined together through Jesus. That's the idea of the Gospel of Mark. And then in, in Matthew, it was said that Jesus promised that I will be with you to the ends of the earth. Jesus will be with us. So, Sometimes when we are in adversity, we think, why is it that we have to wait for so long? It is true that Christ will return to us, and he has promised that, and it has not happened. It's true. But it is also true that through Christ, heaven has opened, and we have the companionship of Christ through the Holy Spirit. That means we are left behind, but we are also not left behind because we are given the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we feel that the, because we are waiting for the second coming of Christ, if we do not have this sense that Christ is with us, then it will be very difficult for us to walk this journey because we seem to feel that we have been walking alone. But however, because the second coming is yet to come, the church often will have to walk without a very clear sense of political power which is ruled by Christ. It's the fact. I mean, throughout the journey, especially at this time when it was written, the Romans, or they were so powerful. So the Roman emperor, if they want to persecute the church, then the Christians will just have to face the persecution. And there seems to be no way that things can change. Now, of course, now we look back, we know that it's changed. In, in year 300, then things change. Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Now, how do we walk this walk with integrity? We have to learn from Jesus. And in Revelation, if you read carefully, you realize that violent revolution is out. You cannot resist with violence. Why? Jesus did not do so. Throughout the New Testament, he has given a model from his willingness to go to the cross and die on the cross, and all the way to Revelation, it was revealed to us that it was the Lamb. Nobody would say that the political leader is a lamb who was slain. Only the Christians. To them, Christ reigned through being the lamb who bleed, who died, who sacrificed. So chapter 6, if you read, it's all about the lamb, slaughtered lamb, prince of martyr. It's a reversal of violence. And it is, when you look at the sword here, the sword is not the one that is used for violence, but the word of God. So it's quite consistent, actually, when you read the New Testament. It means the word of God. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. So this particular part means that the Christians at that time, they learn from Jesus and they're willing to be like Lamb being slaughtered. So that's why people say the church of Jesus Christ was established by the blood of martyrs. Martyrs are people who are willing to even die so that they would continue to be faithful as Christians. They're willing to die for Christ. Now, this is very important in the gospel message. The gospel message is not just about knowing Jesus and then we can have eternal life. Because eternal life is not yet, right? I mean, already, but not yet. Already in the sense that we already have life from Christ. But it will be when Christ returns, then all of us will, uh, will see that the world will experience the new heaven and new earth. But before that, as we live from now to the time where we leave this world, we will have to face the reality. We will have to receive the message of hope. And finally, we have to walk with integrity. And this integrity is not just being demonstrated through our faithfulness to God, just as God actually is God's faithfulness to us. You know, we, we respond on it. So not just we respond to God's faithfulness and when there's problem, we still believe. When there's adversity, 
we still believe. But also, how do we do it? If we do it violently, violent will be get violent. Violent will give birth to more violent. Now, it, I show you, I'm going to show you this. Uh, do we have the yeah Hydra? This is Hydra. This is from Greek mythology. And I think it was Hercules that had to deal with Hydra. You know what's so special about Hydra? Many heads. This monster has many heads. You cut off one head, two more heads will grow from the cut. You cut one more, two more will grow. The more you cut, cut off its head, it will have more heads. This is Hydra. You know, Christians, we stop violence by our stand, and that stand is following Jesus' model. So if you understand this, then you'll be able to understand the standard in the teaching at the Mount, Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus say, if someone slap you on one side, give the other side. The reason is because once you do that, two things happen. Number one, you stop violence from growing. Number two, you believe that God will judge. Number two is more important than number one. Most of the time, we didn't, don't even consider these two. Most of the time, we try to explain, you know, I, actually that one is only for the very good disciple. Some, most of us, we cannot, we cannot do that, you know. People slap you, you give the other side, impossible, you know. Some people, they will explain like that. But if you understand the whole New Testament, you realize that it's consistent. It is not like this gospel says something and then Revelation says something else. No. In Revelation, it has come, it's become a reality. In the gospel time, not so much in the persecution is not so much there there are a lot you know Jesus also faced persecution but compared to Revelation it was very serious systematic in the government system and all that resist yes violence no if you stop violence that means you don't keep on cutting the head the bald head coming out you know if you stop that, the, the other point is even more important. That shows that you believe God will judge. That is linked to the second point. Receive the message of hope. Receive it. Receive means you understand that Jesus Christ, He is the true King. And if you are bullied, He will come and judge and you don't need to judge. So whether or not we trust God, immediately from that point you can see whether or not a person trusts God. If the person uses his own might and own ability to try to fight back, then most likely the temptation, the temptation is that we will not trust God. We trust our ability. So when you reflect this in your own personal life, just as I have done so myself, I'm sure that 
it really rings a bell. And sometimes how we conduct ourselves when we face adversity, sometimes we just forget that God is in control. So I'm going to show you this video, whether, uh, I don't know whether you like football or not, but uh, yeah, you see, this is a video. <laughs> okay, this is a video about this, this coach. His name is Patrick Vieira. Okay. In a, in, a, in a game when, uh, you know, after the game, it just happened. I don't know how they arranged this. The, the managers, where the manager stand is, he has to exit the stadium. He has to leave the stadium. So he has to cross the field. Normally, you don't need to do that. But in this case, he has to cross the field in order to leave the stadium. And it so happened that they have this uh, pitch invasion. Okay? The other team is Everton, pitch invasion. It's not supposed to happen in football matches. This is an old issue since many years ago. So if you watch a football match, you must not enter to the field. Okay? So all the football fans should know about this. But it happened. So he had to walk through, no choice. He had to exit, right? He had to go leave the stadium. He wouldn't be staying in the stadium. He had to leave. So he just walked. So he, he tried his very best to walk through all the uh, opponent fans, okay? That means those who hate him, lah, you know? All of these fans in the field, they all hated him. He had to walk through calmly. He fell. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so if you watch some of these videos, you realize that the fan was very offensive and very... It's very... Uh, very irritating, you know, uh, and, and very provocative. So, so in the end, he turned back, he kicked the fan. <laughs> Life is like that, you know, and, and sometimes we just have to walk through some of these people. <sighs> Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to be to the tree of life and that they may enter the city of the gates. You keep on seeing this, wash the robes, white robes. What does that mean? That means the non-violent stand. Let the evildoer still do evil and let the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. So John's revelation, you know, in this, in this way, we can also look at John's revelation in such a way that he's saying that I show you what the final chapter looked like. So keep up the good work. The final chapter is Jesus' return. Judgment. For now, walk past, walk through these difficulties, this adversity. Remember, do not deceive ourselves, face the evil, but do not run away, do not be complacent, do not react with violence, but to receive the message of peace. Be secure, 
because Christ is at the throne. He's sitting at the throne. Thirdly, to know that it's not enough, we have to walk with integrity. Remember, if we react, that is also a, a sign that we do not trust God. It's very difficult, I know. Sometimes I thought I could never do that. But then, that's why Jesus said, do not, you remember when Jesus said to the disciples, do not be troubled. They will catch you. They will bring you to the authority. But the Holy Spirit will be with you. And that means I will be with you. Do not be worried what you will say. So the other thing, finally, is that we must not worry. But we do need to train our integrity. Let us pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you, Lord. There are difficult passages in the Bible. We sometimes maybe read it's difficult for us to read and sometimes difficult for us to accept. But we know that we need to be faithful to your word. And your word has given us clarity. And we praise you, Lord. You have guided us. Show us that you are always with us. Your promise is that even as we walk past the valley of death, we have no fear. Lord, as we walk through difficulties, help us, Lord, to face and to acknowledge the evil around us. Help us, Lord, to receive the message of peace. And help us, Lord, so that we may walk with integrity. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ will come back. And that has given us great security. And even before that, the Lord Jesus Christ is the King. He is not the King to come, but He is the King that has already been enthroned. And He rules over all. And we praise you, Lord, today. We do not need to take up the duty of punishment or judgment because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Lord, we pray, and right now, you help us, O oh Lord, we pray. Help us to release our urge, our feeling that we need to have our own vengeance to you. We pray as we acknowledge that you are our King. And we say that, Lord, we trust that vengeance is in you and we release it from our lives so that our lives will be like the white rope without any stain waiting, O oh Lord, for you to come. Let us, Lord, 
continue to be unblemished and righteous, still do right, and the holy, still be holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.